Father, thank you uh, that you have made us your own. Thank you that you have bought us with the blood of your Son. And we thank you that we can come to you as our Father and by your Spirit hear your voice as we read your word. We thank you that you have been speaking to us as your scriptures were read. And we pray that you continue to do that now uh, as we look at this passage together. May your Spirit work in each of our hearts, causing us to see you and appreciate you more and more, and so to love Jesus more and more, and so to obey you more and more. We pray that you help me to preach your word rightly in your Spirit's strength, and that your Spirit will be opening our hearts to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a slave or a son? When you serve God, do you serve him to get his approval and avoid his punishment? Or do you serve him because you love him and want to honor him? Do you try to be good in order to get to heaven and escape hell? Or do you try to be good because he is good and he is your father who loves you? Are you a slave or a son? And what difference does that make in your Christian life? As we look back on what we've seen in Galatians so far, you remember in chapter 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul, he was astonished that the Galatians were turning away from the gospel of Christ, from the true gospel. The gospel uh, that Jesus himself had given, uh, it was under attack by a group of people from Jerusalem. Uh, we call them the Judaizers. And they were saying that faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. You need to add something else as well. And they said, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, if you're a Gentile, you have to be a Jew first to be a Christian. You have to do something more than trust in Christ. You've got to keep that law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai 1,500 years before this. But really, even the Jews couldn't keep the law. Over and over again, their history was failure in this respect. And so they couldn't be justified, they couldn't be declared right with God on the basis of observing the law. In fact, by the works of the law, no one, whether Jew or Gentile, would be justified. But thank God that He made another way. And the way to be justified is by faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, then, then we are united with Christ by the Spirit. That is, spiritually, we are considered together. You can say, we've been crucified with Christ because we are together, we are one. Our sins are counted to Him, and His righteousness is counted to us. When He died on the cross, He paid for our sins, and so what is left is His righteousness, which He shares with us. And so it's perfectly right for God to declare us righteous in Christ. By ourselves, sinful. Put us in Christ, righteous. And so we are now justified. Justified means declared righteous. And so it's faith, since faith unites us to Christ, we can say that we are justified by faith. The problem here in Galatia is that these Gentile Christians, having been justified by faith, are now being influenced to go backwards and start observing the Jewish law. 
And Paul is exasperated with this. In chapter 3, he reminds them that, look, you, you, you received the Spirit, not when you obeyed the law, but when you believed in Jesus. Remember? In fact, he says to them that they were like Abraham. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. He heard God's promise, he trusted God's word, and God considered him righteous. It was about hearing God's word and believing him. On the other hand, when the law came, it wasn't about believing, it was about doing. It came with a stipulation that everyone who doesn't keep everything that's written in the law is under curse. But Jesus died, Paul says, Jesus died to take the curse. Jesus died to take that curse for the Jewish believers who would otherwise be stuck under the law. He was cursed for them to release them from the law. And now they're released from the law and they come to God by faith. That same blessing, the blessing of Abraham, can go to the Gentiles. Because they too were previously under a curse because of sin. And now Jesus has died. They can come to God by faith. So Gentiles, Galatians... If you're trusting in Jesus, you've already been blessed like Abraham. You've heard God's promises in the gospel. You trusted him. God considered you righteous. Why would you want to go back under the law like the Jews did when they were in slavery? You don't want to be like that. You want to be like Abraham. And then the question arose, well, if the law is so, so enslaving, why is it given in the first place? And Paul says, well, it's like a guardian, someone to watch over the kid until he's grown up and doesn't need him anymore. And that's what happened with the Jews. But now he says the right time came, and when the right time came, God sent his son, who lived perfectly under the law, to redeem his Jewish believers from the law so they can have the full rights of adoption as sons. But it wasn't just the Jewish Christians, but the Gentile Christians also received the same spirit and so they are not slaves either, but sons. And he uses sons for both men and women. Because in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are one in Christ. We relate to God on the same basis. And we are all sons because we are all heirs. It's something only sons were in the society where, where, where Paul was writing. We are all given the benefits of his kingdom. We've been given God's spirit to change us. We belong to him. We are God's children. Not under that law of Moses. And then the problem we saw last week was that the Gentile Christians were already picking up some things from the law. Uh, they'd begun to observe special days and seasons and years the way the Jews did. And now they were about to get circumcised as well, becoming full-blown Jewish converts to go back under the law. And Paul says, look, don't be silly. This is not progress. You're going from being free to being in bondage. The Jewish Christians are meant to have moved from being slaves to being sons, but you guys are going from sons to being slaves. And to illustrate that, to make it stark and bold, he draws a picture from the Old Testament. A picture of a slave and a picture of a son. And we pick up this illustration in chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Right? We heard that story in our Old Testament reading, didn't we? Right? The slave woman was Hagar, 
Abraham's slave, her son was Ishmael. The free woman was Sarah, Abraham's wife, her son was Isaac. The son of the slave woman, verse 23, was born according to the flesh. It was a natural birth. It was a birth that came about, well, because Abraham failed to trust in God to keep his promises and at that point took things into his own hands. It was according to the flesh. The son of the free woman, verse 23 continues, was born through promise. It was a supernatural birth. Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children, but God gave them Isaac in fulfillment of his promise. Now, Paul's going to use this to illustrate his point. And guided by the Holy Spirit, he tells us that Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants. He says, now this can be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. They illustrate, they share the essence of, they are similar to two covenants. What are the two covenants? Well, on the one hand, you have the Sinai covenant, the covenant in which God gave the law to Moses and the people of Israel agreed to obey it. And under the terms of the covenant, they would be blessed in the land if they did, and they would be cursed if they didn't. This covenant is called the law of Moses. It's a covenant based on doing. Covenant number one. Paul doesn't identify the second covenant in the passage, but presumably he means the new covenant. The covenant in which our sins are remembered no more because of the death of Jesus. The covenant in which the Spirit writes God's law in our hearts. covenant in which we know God personally. Or he could mean the covenant with Abraham. God made promises to Abraham. Abraham believed God. God counted him righteous. Or it could be both at the same time, because actually they're the same thing, isn't it? Both covenants actually work on the same principle. They share the same promises even. It's not about doing. It's about hearing God's word and trusting him. That's covenant number two. Now, Paul continues in verse 24. He says, One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, which covenant is slavery? Which covenant goes with Hagar? Interesting, isn't it? He says it's, it's the one from Mount Sinai. Now, the Jews would have been very upset with him at this point, wouldn't he? Wouldn't they? Right? Because they would have identified themselves with Isaac, not Ishmael. After all, Isaac was their ancestor. They would have said their mother is Sarah, but Paul's not going to let them do that. Because the controlling factor in this illustration is not physical ancestry, it is slavery versus freedom. And the law we have seen enslaves people. You can never be righteous by doing because you can never do enough. The gospel brings freedom. You are righteous by believing God's promise and trusting in Him. And so Paul boldly identifies Hagar with Mount Sinai, the law, and her children as the Jews who are under the law. Verse 25, he continues, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. On the other hand, the free woman, in verse 26, is the Jerusalem that is above. So the present Jerusalem, who had rejected Christ, who was still under the control of those who wanted to obey the law, the Jews in Judaism, 
versus the Jerusalem above, the true Jerusalem, the place where God's King, Jesus, reigns. And the citizens of which are those who belong to his kingdom. That is the Jerusalem that is free. Paul continues in verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Now that quote is from Isaiah 54 verse 1 in the Old Testament, written 600 years before this. Now Isaiah 54 comes right after Isaiah 53, isn't it? And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah had been prophesying about the coming of Jesus, the suffering servant. The one who would die to pay for the sins of his people, who would bear their sin on their behalf, and by doing so would cause many to be declared righteous before God. And because he did this, Isaiah says God would raise him up and reward him. All that was Isaiah 53. And then Isaiah 54, God calls his people to rejoice. The barren one should sing for joy. The desolate one will have many, many children. And he goes on to say that her offspring will will possess many nations. For the Lord, her husband, has compassion on her. And who is this barren one? It is God's people. It is Jerusalem. It's the ones for whom the servant died. It's the ones he came to save. Not the literal physical Jerusalem down the road in the Middle East, but the real Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that is above. The Jerusalem that consists of God's true people. The Jerusalem that consists of the people who have been saved by the work of the servant. The Jerusalem that comes supernaturally, whose children come supernaturally, that she can rejoice. And friends, Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. We belong to her. That's the citizens that we are. We are children of that free woman, not the children of the slave woman. By implication, we are children of Sarah, not children of Hagar. And so Paul says in verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. We exist as God's people supernaturally. We exist because God kept his promise. He promised to send the suffering servant to die and rise again, and he did. And by his death and resurrection, he has created this new people, the Jerusalem that is above. And we are part of this people, how? Not by doing, but by hearing God's promises and believing in him, trusting him. We are children of promise. You see the picture Paul is painting? Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, the present Jerusalem, Judaism. Sarah, Isaac, Jerusalem above, believers. Too distinct. This is the way of the law. This is the way of faith in Christ. This is the way of doing. This is the way of believing. Now, look at the observation that he makes in verse 29. He says, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. 
and the Jews were persecuting the believers. The persecution would have stopped if the Gentile Christians had been circumcised. We'll read about that later in chapter 6. But the ones born of the flesh persecuted and kept on persecuting the ones born of the Spirit. It's the observation. And it comes the punchline, the command in verse 30. What does the scripture say? And he quotes Genesis. Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Right Back in Abraham's time, a son who, was, who came through a slave would inherit together with the son of a man's wife as long as the slave remained in the household. But if the slave were given her freedom, then the son would be given his freedom and, and he wouldn't. And God, taught, God had taught Abraham that Isaac would be his heir. And so Abraham had to take decisive action in obedience to God. He had to send Hagar and Ishmael away, trusting God to look after them, which he did. And just as Abraham had to take decisive action in obedience to God for the sake of God's promises, the Galatians had to do the same. Cast out the slave woman and her son, God says. Get rid of law-keeping as a means of salvation. Get rid of people who are trying to bring you back under the law. Stop listening to them. Cast Judaism out of Christianity. You are not, verse 31, children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ died, chapter 5, verse 1, to set us free, to to set the, the, the Jews free from the law. So Gentile Christians, you stand firm. Don't go back to slavery under the law. All right, so we've seen Paul's argument seen very clearly how it applies to the people that he was writing to. But how does it apply to us? Oh, we've got a few points on the right-hand side of your outline. First of all, beware of legalism. Beware of legalism. Don't go back to law as a way of being saved. Now, I don't think we're in danger of becoming Jews, are we? All right? not about to adopt the law of Moses and get circumcised and observe food laws and Jewish festivals. But that's not the only way we can go back to law-keeping, to go back to doing as a way of being saved. Some forms of Christianity will do that as well. They will pile you up with all kinds of rules and regulations that you have to follow in order to be right with God. And that's still legalism. But sometimes, no one does it to us, we just do it to ourselves. And that's not right either, is it? God loves us and accepts us as his children in Jesus. We don't have to prove ourselves to him by keeping rules in order to be accepted. Of course, God will teach us and train us and change us and discipline us as his children. Of course, he has given us his spirit to change us and make us want to obey him. And we will change. And of course, we must love him and love our neighbors and Love one another, and of course we must do what is right. But we do that not in order to be saved, but because we have been. We do that not in order to make God love us, but because He does. We do that not in order to be accepted by God, but because our acceptance is one in Jesus. We're accepted to God. We are righteous, not by rule-keeping, but by hearing his promises in the gospel and trusting him. 
But sometimes, even when we do that, we might forget and start thinking that our acceptance to God is based on our doing rather than in trusting what Christ has done. There may be times when we sin, and instead of looking to the cross in repentance and faith, and instead of confessing our sins and trusting in the death of Jesus to save us, we, we try to save ourselves. We like to like the person in the video, try and do something to make up for it. Something good to balance it out, as it were. That's the doing way, isn't it? Not the hearing God's word and trusting him way. And friends, don't do that. Because if you do that, let me tell you what happens. First of all, it hides sin from your own eyes, doesn't it? Right? We think it's okay because we've balanced it off with something else. And so we don't really repent, and we don't really change. And so our sin is never really confronted and weeded out of our life. Secondly, it robs Jesus of the glory because he's actually the only one who can deal with our sin. And by dealing with, with it with a, in a doing kind of way, we, we pretend that we atone for our own sin. And so we don't really appreciate the gospel. And in the end, if we keep on doing that, we think we have to do that to be saved. And then we won't be because we're not trusting Jesus. We're trusting ourselves. And thirdly, it affects how we relate to God because it robs us of our joy in service. For instead of delighting to serve Him as our Father who loves us and gave His Son for us, Instead of joyfully serving him as a son or a child, we treat him as a slave treats his master, who he fears but despises. We end up doing good in order to keep him happy, or restrain from doing evil and calling to stop him from being angry. We'll be like a slave, not like a son. If you're a child, if you serve your father, not because you're scared of his curse... You, you serve him because you love him, because you're part of the family, uh, because the family business is your business. Uh, you do good because that's what your family does. You're just like your father because his spirit's in your heart. So my brother, my sister, you are not a slave, you're a son. Don't relate to your father like a slave. Don't go back to law-keeping as a way of winning God's favor. Don't go back to law-keeping as a way to being saved. Beware of legalism. Secondly, remember that we are not under the Sinai covenant. Remember, Hagar stands for Sinai, stands for slavery. You're not under the Sinai covenant, and you don't want to be under the Sinai covenant, do you? It's slavery, not freedom. There are a whole lot of people in churches today who think Sinai is a very attractive way of relating to God. And they preach what we call the prosperity gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And what they say is this. God promised Israel in Deuteronomy that he would bless them in the land with abundant physical blessing, health, wealth, victory over their enemies if they obey him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, if you obey God, God will give you health, wealth, and victory. If I were cynical, I would add that obedience is often shown by making a donation to their organization. Uh, but it sounds attractive, doesn't it? Health, wealth, and victory. And wouldn't it be great if what God wants from me is exactly what society is chasing and God gives me a way of getting it? 
Friends, Hagar is for Sinai, is for slavery. You're not under the Sinai covenant anymore. Thank God for that. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You want to go back to Sinai? Remember the other half of the story. Yes, physical blessings in the land if they obeyed. We're not in the land anymore anyway. We're in the, our blessings are in the new creation, our promised land. But even if we want to go back, yes, blessings in the land if they obeyed, but also a curse if they disobeyed, wasn't it? And you know how it worked out, don't you? Curse, 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 curse. Christ redeemed his Jewish believers from the curse of the law. He died to pay for their, their sin, to release them from that. And now we want to go back under it. It's not only impossible, it's crazy to go back to the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy, to relate to God in that way when you have the gospel. It's, again, it's like going back to being a slave when you are a son. Don't, don't be enslaved by a false gospel. Now, it's a different false gospel than the one that Judaizers preached, but the impact's the same in the end, isn't it? Don't go back to the Sinai covenant as a way of relating to God. Thirdly, expect persecution for the people who are in slavery. That was Paul's observation. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. The believers were persecuted by the Jews in his day. And those who trust in Christ will be persecuted who, by people who think they have to relate to God on the basis of law. And there are many people in this world who think they have to do instead of hearing God's promises and trusting in Him. We have people like ISIS who are filled with zeal for their religion, a religion of works, a religion that's about doing rather than about hearing God's promises and trusting Him. And still today, people like that persecute believers around the world. We've all heard about those terrible beheadings in Egypt. We've heard about how Boko Haram is wiping out entire communities in Nigeria. We've heard about how believers in Syria and Iraq have been slaughtered. Just as at that time, he who was born of the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. Now, there's no need to take revenge, no need to be surprised. God will deal with it. But that's the way it is. And don't just expect, don't just expect it from the outside. There are those within the visible church who will do it as well. In the 16th century, the reformers who wanted to recover the gospel of justification by faith, they were persecuted by the institutional church who wanted to keep people in slavery using rules and regulations to control them. In England, people like Cramer and Ridley and Latimer were burned by people who called themselves Christian long before ISIS came. They don't have the only ones. It's because they, they stood for justification by faith alone. And even today, opponents of the gospel persecute God's people in the institutional church, though, of course, in a much more subtle way. He who was born of the flesh persecutes him who was born according to the Spirit. Expect it. And finally, remember what Paul tells the Galatians to do? Cast out the slave woman. In other words, get rid of the false gospel 
The gospel that says that you need to add to the finished work of Christ to be saved. For the Galatians, it meant they weren't to listen to the false teachers anymore. Must purge their influence from among them. And for us, well, we've heard this over and over again in this series, isn't it? We must be vigilant. Mustn't let false teaching like this propagate among us. And where necessary, we must take decisive action. We must trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. We must preach Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Guard your freedom in Christ. And never, never, never go back to slavery again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we've been adopted as your children. We thank you that Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins and given us his righteousness and that we are justified by faith in him. Thank you that you've given us your spirit so that we can know you as our loving father. We thank you that you have freed us from the slavery of seeking to win our salvation by doing It only results in judgment. Please help us to keep listening to your word and trusting your promises. Thank you for the gospel of grace through faith in your Son. We pray that you help us to live by this gospel. Never seek to win our acceptance with you by rule-keeping. Help us to be willing to suffer for this gospel, for we... Know that those who are in slavery will seek to persecute us. And help us take whatever decisive action is needed to guard this gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.